Hey folks, another busy week of politically charged legal news making the headlines. Former Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein is in the news again, this time for being a, quote, driving force, end quote, behind the Trump administration's family separation policy at the U.S.-Mexico border. Meanwhile, Supreme Court nominee Amy Coney Barrett's confirmation hearing before the Senate Judiciary Committee started this week. And prosecutors brought terrorism and conspiracy charges against 13 men for plotting to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer and incite a civil war. Anne and I discuss all this and more on the Cafe Insider podcast. Today, we're sharing a clip from the episode with listeners of Stay Tuned. To hear our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, including the newly launched United Security and Cyberspace podcasts, try the membership free for two weeks. You can do that at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. College students with a valid.edu email qualify for a discount. Head to cafe.com slash student and sign up at a lower rate. Again, that's cafe.com slash student. We look forward to having you as part of the insider community. Speaking of bad faith, <laughs> should we talk about a couple of other things that you and I have been chattering about in the last week? It's really the perfect segue. Yeah. So so I really hadn't been thinking about Rod Rosenstein, the former deputy attorney general who appointed Bob Mueller as a special counsel and before that was the U.S. attorney in Maryland. But then two things happened last week that I think deserve some of our attention. One was this New York Times report that details what looks to be in a draft of an inspector general report about child separations at the border. You remember, that's something that you and I talked a lot about on this show and that a lot of people were upset about and so upset and argued so vociferously against these child separations that lasted for a long time that it was one of the few things on which the Trump administration did an about face and one of the few things about which people sort of headed for the hills, not wanting to have responsibility for this terrible, terrible policy on the part of the United States. And it has been in the minds of a lot of Americans that it was really the doing of the Department of Homeland Security and the bad guys and the culprits were Steve Miller in the White House, Donald Trump in the White House, and then people at DHS. And very quietly back then, I remember reading and hearing that the Inspector General at the Department of Justice was going to take an internal look and see what involvement and responsibility people at the Department of Justice had. And we haven't seen it yet, and it's subject to change, and it's just a New York Times report, and it's not gospel and released yet. But it paints a very ugly picture of how Jeff Sessions uh, at the top and Rod Rosenstein, too, were really into this idea of childhood separations intentionally and deliberately for the purpose of deterring other migrants from coming over the border. And Rod Rosenstein, who has spent a career, as Jim Comey put it, being a survivor, and trying to, you know, straddle lines so he can be on one side of an issue or, or the other side of an issue or escape blame doing this tightrope walk, is at the center of the story. What did you make of it? Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is a really important conversation and it's a really important story. And, and I do want to give a little bit of credit to the New York Times reporting that because they did review an 86-page draft report. The report cited interviews with more than 45 key officials. And then the Times also went out and talked to three government officials who had read it. So I think it's it's not speculation. I think people should know the Times is working off a draft. What it says in there, and you know, 
remember that at the heart of the policy was this idea that if you if you prosecute the parents who are unlawfully crossing into the United States and you separate them from their kids, that this would be a deterrent to stop people from coming. And again, it, it is sort of on its face, just the cruelest, most, most awful policy in my view, to sort of intentionally try to target kids as a way to teach a lesson to their parents. And what, what this makes clear is that it, it's led by Jeff Sessions in many ways because the the normal practice is that people come into contact with immigration authorities and, you know, immigration generally has the authority to send them back. The people who have the authority to bring a case, to bring the prosecution, which would lead to the separation, is the United States Department of Justice. So the article may, says that Jeff Sessions, who was then the attorney general, made it clear that Mr. Trump basically wanted this policy, this, quote, zero tolerance family separation policy. And there are notes from one of the participants on a call that Sessions said, quote, we need to take away children. This is missing from the quote, but it basically saying if parents, quote, care about kids, don't bring them in. And then goes on to talk about not giving amnesty to people with kids. Then Rod Rosenstein, who was the deputy AG, and remember that Rosenstein was a career prosecutor. The the deputy AG generally runs the day-to-day of the office. He does a call with the U.S. attorneys telling the five prosecutors that it, quote, did not matter how young the children were. Um, There had been prosecutors that have refused to prosecute two cases because the children were barely more than infants. And Rosenstein goes on to say that it doesn't matter how young the kids are. And so when he's asked, when he's interviewed for this inspector general report, he goes on to basically argue that the removal of the kids was not DOJ's problem, that it was, quote, the equity, close quote, of the Department of Health and Human Services who had to take control of the children. And it is it is outrageous. It is so clearly to me an abuse of his authority as the deputy AG to say that there's no responsibility for what impact the prosecution would have when parents were entering the country with children or trying to enter the country with children that otherwise did not have other alternatives to care for them. And they weren't even trying to figure out if there if there were other options. A Cu- couple of things. Then Rod Rosenstein, when he's asked about it, uses weasel words. I mean, I think his testimony, according to the New York Times, is something like, I never directed anyone to prosecute any particular person. And if any prosecutor, you know, brought a case against a particular person they didn't believe was correct, that's a violation of their oath. He made a general statement that you should not consider the age of the children. And there were also sentiments expressed between the higher-ups at the Department of Justice negatively about U.S. attorney's offices that were not bringing these prosecutions. So it's kind of a, a... a twisted pretzel kind of logic to, on the one hand, have said things that would compel people to bring cases that would result in childhood separation, in child separation, and on the other hand, say, I'm not responsible for it. And the other thing that's very clear from all that you're describing is unlike some things where everyone was on the same side and wanted to proceed, there was a rebellion taking place within the department. There were line prosecutors and local United States attorney, at least one, who didn't think this was a good idea and were trying to fight fight back against it. So it would, you have not only sort of a generalized policy that they can say was issued in, on a piece of paper. No, you had a controversy within the department and Rod Rosenstein in particular and Jeff Sessions took a particular side in that controversy. And the side they took was one that it's terrible and awful and that they will never live down and shouldn't try to weasel out of. Yeah. I mean, look, weasel weasel feels to me like the perfect word for Rosenstein, but in some ways it's it's even worse than that, right? Because 
there's a way in which, you know, when he talked about the oath, like the person who didn't honor their oath to the United States and the United States Constitution was him, right? I mean, it, it's sort of like he's putting it on other folks saying, you know, when you're faced with something you don't believe in, you shouldn't do it. Well, he did a lot of things and either he believed in them or he didn't. And he has continually tried to straddle this line in a way that's just not accurate, right? I mean, it's just, he has been, and I want to talk about a few of the other things, but just to stay on this for for one more minute, I, I think people also have to understand that the choice that Sessions and Rosenstein made here was a choice that was not about public safety. And so the idea was, you know, you're going to stop undocumented people from coming into the country you're, by punishing their kids. The reality is that border, you know, the draft report documents a number of things that were not known, including that, quote, border patrol officers missed serious felony cases because they were stretched too thin by the zero tolerance policy, requiring them to detain and prosecute all of the misdemeanor, these are the lowest level cases, illegal entry cases. So, you know, one Texas prosecutor warns the top DOJ officials in 2018 that, quote, sex offenders were released, close quote, as a result. And, you know, there are really, there's a lack of serving warrants in important cases by the marshal service because they just didn't have the capacity. So I think it's really important to know what choices they were making. Um, and it feels incredibly political. I just want to emphasize something that you said about how Rod Rosenstein violated his oath, and he did, both in spirit and in, I think in fact. So according to the report, you know, senior Justice Department officials viewed the welfare of the children as a responsibility of other agencies. And their duty is tracking the parents, right? Other people are supposed to do that. And here's what Ron Rosenstein says, quote, I just don't see that as a DOJ equity, end quote. What I learned when I was in the department is all of these things are part of a DOJ equity. If your job is to care about principles and fairness and justice, then you do care about those things. You can't just fob off that responsibility on some other agency. It's not how it works. And also to just put you know, a fine point on the kinds of things that prosecutors were being asked to do and how they were repelled at it. You had one government prosecutor writing to his superiors in a note or in an email, quote, we have now heard of us taking breastfeeding defendant moms away from their infants. I did not believe this until I looked at the duty log, end quote. This is the kind of thing that Rod Rosenstein knew about, was aware of, didn't think was a DOJ equity, and then goes ahead and blames the prosecutors themselves for violating an oath. It's it's like the height of, to coin a phrase, the height of grossness to me. Yeah, I, I think that's right. And, and I think it's also really important to just note also that there was no plan in place. So you and I agree that prosecutors have to consider what's going to happen. You know, you don't just make an arrest and everything ends. You're, you're making an arrest for a misdemeanor, a low-level offense, you're taking somebody's child away. There was absolutely no plan to get that child back. And so, you know, I sit on the board of a nonprofit that helps uh, homeless youth. There are kids in Honduras who are in the custody of care of this nonprofit who have not yet been reunited with their families. And this is 2020. And so I think that anyone who doesn't understand the devastation of what this was and what this was intended to be is missing the point that 
they didn't care, right? And they and for Rosenstein to then double down and to blame the people who were saying like this shouldn't have been happening is just it's like it is the height of grossness. I want to say one other thing that which this reminded me of, and I think Rosenstein, I don't know what you think, he has gotten off way too easy. And he has gotten off way too easy because he he is a card carrying member of the Trump administration. He repeatedly compromised integrity and ethics, in my personal view, in order to benefit the president of the United States, who has shown that he does not follow the rule of law. And so the other thing that got me about Rosenstein's tweet was basically talking about the rule of law in our country is strong. And it's almost like he's he's trying to put himself in a position of like, I'm a hero of the rule of law when it's the exact opposite. He's a coward and he's trying now to hide behind the rule of law thing when he is one of the people who's undercut the rule of law in substantial ways. And we should talk about the Mueller report in a minute as well. So the other thing that, that really kind of pissed me off, um, it doesn't happen often, was the combination of that report in the New York Times and Rod Rosenstein's role and the cold-hearted things he did and said, but also then, as you as you mentioned, I want to read it to folks. His delusional and self-righteous, sanctimonious tweet. This is in the face of President Trump making these bizarre sort of statements about how Obama and Biden and everyone else should be prosecuted, uh, even though there's no evidence supporting such a prosecution. Rod Rosenstein tweeted, "Quote: The Department of Justice will ignore the president's threats against his political opponents, as it has in the past." because prosecutors who take an oath to support and defend the Constitution must uphold the rule of law, end quote, which is a fine anodyne statement and high-minded statement, but coming out of his mouth without context of the current moment and without an acknowledgement of all the ways in which I think he has violated his oath, arguably, and has allowed other people to violate their oath, it really stuck in my craw. And what especially stuck in my craw is, for those of you who are not on Twitter, there's a new feature by which you can disable replies from your tweet and restrict them only to people who you follow. So Rod Rosenstein puts out this tweet, disables replies, which means literally no one can reply to him because he, in his sanctimony and self-righteousness, follows zero people, right? So, so, you know, he likes to put out his statement, oh, look at me, high-minded Rod Rosenstein, and we'll talk about ways that I think he has gotten off the hook on, on, on a variety of things for far too long, but also wants to re- relieve himself of the obligation to see what people have to say back to him. And I find that I find that unacceptable and bad faith. Yeah, I want to say two other things about Rod Rosenstein, and then of course we can move on. But but really, we could do an entire episode on him. The first is that. It's really important to remember back in 2017 when he first came into office, when he, you'll remember, he's called to a meeting with the president, with President Trump. He is told at that meeting that Trump is going to fire Jim Comey. He's asked to write this memo, which basically, and he obviously, I'm sure the memo didn't come out of thin air. I'm sure he was complaining about Comey and saying Comey had violated the norms of the department by talking about the Hillary Clinton investigation, which a lot of people agree with. So he's asked to write this memo. He goes out, he writes this memo, he gives it to the president. The president walks out. And what shouldn't have been surprising to anyone, particularly Rosenstein, who knew that Comey was about to be fired, is that the president says, I'm firing Jim Comey because of what the deputy attorney general, Rod Rosenstein, said. And so he uses that memo that Rosenstein has written on what Comey did wrong with the Clinton investigation as a justification for it. So 
Rosenstein, then he threatens to quit. He goes out publicly. And it really all, in hindsight, now understanding that he left that meeting with the president, knowing that the president was going to fire Comey, he was a willing participant. He didn't stand up. He didn't say no. He went out and wrote a memo that anyone in their right mind should understand the president was going to be used. And he did it because he thought it would be hidden, because he didn't think it would see the light of day. And he apparently had no issues with it until it became public. And so this goes back to your view of Rod Rosenstein as the weasel in chief, because that's cowardly, right? It's like he's willing to violate whatever norms, whatever rules, whatever rule of law he has to violate. He just doesn't want to get caught. And that's where he starts to complain and walk it back. And he puts Mueller in as the special counsel, but it's always about him. It's always about his reputation. And when it mattered and when he had to be standing up to the president, he did it. I want to tell one more story before that. I should mention to folks. And as you know, over the weekend in response to Rod Rosenstein's tweet, I tweeted a few things and foreshadowed this conversation, which was not going to go well for Rod Rosenstein. So I should put on the record, he he reached out to me yesterday. He emailed me and asked me to call him. And I decided not to call him back because you know what? He can defend himself in a tweet. I don't know if he was calling because he saw the tweets. I don't know if he was calling for some other reason. Um, he and I are not friends, so I don't think he was calling to get a Zoom drink. But I should just leave here that he did reach out to say something. I don't know what. He can respond afterwards. It would be really awkward if he if he was trying to get you for a Zoom drink. <laughs> I'm just picturing what that yeah. would go like. But anyway, sorry. I have I have I have other other I have other folks that are a higher priority for Zoom drinks than than Mr. Rosenstein. But here's a story that is overlooked and I think sort of encapsulates a lot of the problems with Rod and how he tries to have it both ways. The opening anecdote in Jeff Tubin's latest book called True Crimes and Misdemeanors is interesting to me. And this is publicly known, but I think it just doesn't get the the attention it deserves. On May 16th, right, on the eve of Rosenstein appointing Mueller, and I'll say, look, that was a good move, appointing Mueller, but I have a view as to why he did that. I think it was more about Rod than about the country and about the Department of Justice and about finding out the truth. I think Rod was under attack and he was being maligned by all sides, people who had supported him in the past because of his role in the firing of Jim Comey. And he thought, what is the way to make it right for me? And sometimes the things that are right for you align with what's right for the country. And I think in this case it did, but make no mistake about what his motivations overall were in my mind. He wanted to make things right about himself. And so he did the nuclear option and he appointed Bob Mueller. But before that happened, as Jeff Tubin points out in his book, there was a meeting at the White House attended by Rod Rosenstein. And actually the meeting was set up by Rod Rosenstein at which the president was going to hear from Bob Mueller, who was at that point a private citizen in private practice. And the purpose of the meeting was to get a little guidance and advice from Bob Mueller about who the next FBI director should be. Literally, Rosenstein had reached out and brought Mueller to the White House, the Oval Office, in fact, to have this meeting, right? Rosenstein's there, the president's there, that's what the purpose of the meeting is. After Bob Mueller gets appointed as a special counsel, Donald Trump repeatedly, again and again and again, said to the public, partly in an effort to, to, to denigrate Mueller, and also maybe to get him to recuse himself on a, an alleged conflict, said that Bob Mueller had come to the White House to beg for his old job back, that he wanted to be the FBI director, which, by the way, I think was a violation of law because he had already served the full term that had been extended by Congress. Again and again and again, the president blatantly lies to the public 
in an effort to you know, cast aspersions on the special counsel, what did Rod Rosenstein do? To my knowledge, and maybe he can correct it, and maybe I'm wrong, and I'll concede it if I'm wrong, he never corrected the record. He never said that's not true. And look, I should say that Rod Rosenstein addressed for like a fleeting moment this particular Mueller issue on the Words Matter podcast a few months ago. But to my mind, it was a day late and a dollar short. I think he told Jeff Tubin in the book it was not true. But here's an example of Rod Rosenstein, on the one hand, touting the integrity of Bob Mueller, appointing Bob Mueller. In some ways, he's gotten away with a lot of things because he was seen by Democrats as someone protecting the Mueller investigation. But here's a small point on which the president is lying again and again and again about Mueller begging for his job back, knows it's not true, keeps his mouth shut. And using it to undercut it more- the investigation, right? To be, to be clear, yeah, it, to it undercut was very the investigation. clear, yes, why the president was doing it. But how do you explain, how do you explain that? Cowardice. How do you explain? Cowardice and a yeah. lack of principle. I mean, I, I think also, we, we knew this, and we talked about this a little bit when Barr did the summary of the Mueller report, which remember, Robert Mueller came out and wrote a letter saying, this is not an accurate summary of the report. And, you know, Rosenstein stood right by Barr and they, they, put in the letter that they both agreed that this that the obstruction part was not prosecutable as obstruction and they really they twisted and i think deeply misrepresented the work of robert Mueller. and so i think you know look rosenstein he you're he's a survivor he cast his lot he was always looking at where the wind was blowing and he just didn't want people to see who he really was so he was he kept his head down when it suited him and you know i, I think I think that that sort of story tells you a lot. I hope you enjoyed the sample of the Cafe Insider podcast. To listen to the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership free for two weeks. Interested students with a valid.edu email can head to cafe.com slash student. To the many of you who have chosen to join the insider community, thank you for supporting our work.